together, the original apostolic church, as is recorded in the Bible, they all baptized in Jesus' name. They believed in one God. They believed Jesus Christ was God. And uh, there was a, a few that began to rise that began to toy with that idea about how could Jesus be God and still be a man and so forth. And so they began to uh, tinker with it. Uh, one guy named Arius, uh, he believed that the, there was two. He believed that God was God and Jesus Christ was an inferior God made by God. And it was, it got into crazy stuff like this. And uh, so finally Constantine, when he became emperor, he was the first Christian. He said, I want all your, Christ, your Christian churches to get together and hammer out what all of you believe. And so they all got together and they tried to come to an agreement. And finally they said, we cannot come to an agreement because scripture does not support what most of us now believe. This is what they, they came up with. And he said, it doesn't matter what scripture says. He says, just come to an agreement. And so they came to an agreement. And of course, there were three things, uh, three things that was uh, determined there at the Nicene Council uh, in 325 AD. And this, this was in Greece. Uh, three things were determined. One was uh, how they were to treat people who had recanted during persecution, whether they were to let them back into church or not, or say, no, you can never be a part of the body of Christ because they had recanted and said, no, no, I'm not a Christian, so they could live, while others gave their life uh, for the Lord and died. And so uh, they, they, they finally decided, no, just let them come back into the church, we would forgive them. The second thing was the, the setting the date for Easter. Easter, incidentally, I read someplace on the email where Easter comes from, you know, from an old pagan worship of some pagan idol, that's not true. I can show you the word Easter in the Bible. The word Easter is, is, the, is the Greek word for, it comes from the Greek word uh, meaning Passover, it means Passover. If I had time, I could show you that. And it's not a big deal or anything like that. But anyhow, what they did finally try to find out at the Nazi Council was when the date for Easter should be set. That's why we have it not on a certain date of the month, but we have it as following the moons and all that kind of stuff. And that's why we have it sometimes in March, sometimes we have it in April. How I many of you know that? And you know, we always wonder why it's on different times and the reason for it is that and so forth. It has to do with uh, other things that they came up. And that's all that was done at the Nazi Council. The third thing and the biggest was the identity of Christ. Who was Jesus Christ? And followed. so they finally hammered out something they called the Trinity. And it's a triune system saying that God was actually three persons in one God. And uh, therefore, Jesus Christ was just one third of God. That's what they actually hammered out and so forth. This concept uh, was then adopted by the majority and everybody else sort of fell by the wayside. And as time went along, probably within 50 years, they passed a ruling again at one of the ecumenical councils, Nicene Council being the first of the ecumenical councils. They passed a ruling that anyone who did not believe in the Trinity were heretics. And uh, so, so if you didn't believe it, then you were like outside of Christianity. They didn't want to have anything to do with you. Then the next ecumenical council, they passed a ruling that if you were a heretic, you could be punished by being, you know, burned at the stake or executed, not just excommunicated, but now you could be executed. And so that became a factor. And so things just got real rough. And finally, the word of God, as, as we knew it, as they knew it then in the Greek and so forth, became uh, a, a 
something that was not in the hands of the common people, but the church began to say, you look to us, we tell you what it is, what it says, and what it means, and that's all you need to know. And so then you had the Catholic Church that came into full power, and they ruled and reigned for a long time, and this is what all this is about. They brought about Mariolatry, uh, they brought about the purgatory, belief in purgatory, substanti transubstantiation, which is the changing of the of the wafer and the wine into the literal body of Christ and the, and the blood of Christ, so forth. All of that was introduced and still is believed today, uh, and so forth. And so finally, when Martin Luther came along, he said that we are not saved by the works, which was another factor they had brought in. The more works you did for the church, the more works you did for, you know, for especially for Rome, uh, is the more points you get in heaven and less time you have to spend in purgatory which was a place that you went to, everybody went there, and you could spend a short time if you really did a lot of praying, praying and the way you did a lot of praying was to give the church a lot of money, light a lot of candles, you know, and so forth. It's still that way to this day, and so forth. And so the Greek Orthodox Church and Roman Catholic were together, and later they split, and they went different directions, but they hold basically to the same factions. Finding Martin Luther said, no, that's not the way it is. He was a priest. He understood Latin. He read the word. He said, the word does not teach that. This is what the word teaches. So he introduces, he introduced faith. We are saved by faith, not by works. So he introduced the saving of faith. And then the Presbyterian church came along after that and so forth. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here is what each one of these people uh, began to uh, put forth and... Uh, when they would do so, they were persecuted, always persecuted, always persecuted. Uh, there would be a persecution that would follow. And uh, God had a way of revealing truth to the simplest people and people who was of no esteem. God has chosen that. If we could have that scripture on the, on the screen here for us. Let's see, we have one screen in operation, yeah, that, that's not on this one. Uh, we could show this scripture, uh, let's say Isaiah 28, I think it's 28, 10 maybe. Isaiah 28, 10, and we'll look at 28, 10, 11. Here it is. For precept must be upon precept. That's a little now and a little then. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Look at the 11th verse now. It goes on to say, for... Uh, for with stammering lips and other tongue will he speak to this people. Look at the 12th verse. And he said, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. He's speaking here about the coming of the Holy Ghost and the outpouring of the Spirit of God that would come in the early church and that the Jews then would reject it. Well, not only did the Jews reject it, but later on, many Christians rejected the baptism of the Holy Ghost when it began to fall. And the Bible talks about uh, these people. If we're in the 11th verse, 12th verse. Go back to verse 9 for just a moment. This is an interesting one. Whom shall he teach knowledge and to whom shall he make understanding doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. He's saying in babes, babes, God is going to reveal truth. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and so forth. Uh, if you'll also go to Psalms uh, 8, 2. Psalms, uh, Psalms 8 and verse 2. 
and it sort of solidifies them. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has God ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Praise the Lord. It's saying here that God chooses the very youngest seemingly to do what he is going to do. And also 1 Corinthians, uh, if you look, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.17, I believe it is. 1 Corinthians 1.17, for Christ sent us not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Uh, look at the 18th verse now. For the preaching of the cross is that in the prayer is foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. It's the simpleness, the seemingly what is not a big factor here and everything. If we could go to the 18th verse, I'm just going to read this on down for the preaching of the the 19th verse, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Go to verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the computer of this world? Hath disputer. Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? Now look at the next one here. 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And all through here, he talks about how that he chooses simple things. And I think it's the next verse, 22, where it speaks about the simple things. I think it's the next verse. I'm sorry. For the Jews require, no, it's the next one. I'm sorry, go to the 23. I'm going by, but we preach Christ crucified in Jesus. I'm going to 24. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going by, I'm off the top of my head here, 24. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of the world. Uh, that's not it. I, I, I'm right there, but I can't quite place where it is. First Corinthians. Let's look at 27. I'm sorry, I'm not quite there yet. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. This is where I really want to get to. He's chosen the simple things to confound the wise. Now look at the very next verse. The next two verses we'll look at as well. Now look at the next verse. And base things of the world and things which are despised of God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Now look at the, the 29th verse. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And this is why God does that. This is why that it's not the mighty and it's not the great, but it's the humble. It's the very, it's almost the very lowest that God will say, I'll take these people and I will reveal my truth. So in all of this time of the restoration of the church, the Lord would use the simplest people in order to bring truth. And the ones who were beyond that, and they were the big shots now, and they were the accepted crowd, they would persecute those who had come along with more truth. And they said, oh, no, that's, that's not it. And that's not what God wants us to follow. And so there would be persecution. Amen. So when truth is revealed, there is always worship. When truth is revealed, there's worship. Where there is worship, there is a move of God. Now, remember that. Where there is worship, there is a move of God. Where there is a move of God, there is a manifestation of his spirit. A manifestation of his spirit. And where there is a manifestation of his spirit, there is good things will happen. Good things happen. Let me show you something. I want you to look over in Genesis chapter 1 for just a moment here. 
Genesis 1. <clears throat> this is the first two verses in Genesis. Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. Everybody there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Now, this is when God first made the earth without form and void. It wasn't round. It was just a glob, and it was without void. It was void. It had no significance. I guess it was just a big old sloppy mud ball. I don't know how it was. We have to imagine whatever it was. But he created, God created it in that fashion to start with. It was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, deep being the, the, all the water and mud and everything mixed together, I suppose. And the Spirit of God moved. Now, I could stop right there. It doesn't stop here. It says it moved upon the waters. But it, I could stop right there. The Spirit of God moved. And when the Spirit of God begins to move, folks, things begin to happen. Praise the Lord. And God, praise the Lord, can take nothing. The earth was without form and void and was empty and useless and a big old glob of mud and water. I, I guess it's the only way I can imagine because there's more water on the earth today than there is land, they, you know, and everything else mixed with it. And, and he took that big glob of nothing and he began to move, praise the Lord. And when God moves, things begin to happen. And so for the rest of the book of Genesis, it goes on to talk about God said, let there be. And he spoke all things into existence. And without going through all of that, I want to go to the very uh, last verse there, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Praise the Lord. Because everything God does is good. Praise the Lord. But uh, sometimes when people who are in positions of control and positions of power, when they feel they are losing that, they send forth persecution. And this is what happened in every one of these instances here, all through church history. You can read about it. Since 1517, Catholics persecuted the Lutherans. Lutherans persecuted the Presbyterians. Presbyterians persecuted the Congregationalists. And, and the Congregation persecuted the Baptists. The Baptists persecuted the Methodists. It went on and on like this. And they finally work it all out and say, well, we see you're here to stay, so we're not going to bother you anymore, so we'll just live you know, together in harmony. And, and it, this went on. It went on. And when the, whenever the Pentecostal movement began, and the, we talked about that in, in times past, when the Pentecostal movement began, uh, there began to be persecution. Now, here's another thing. Whenever God's spirit moves and good things begin to happen, the devil gets riled up. <laughs> that's, the, that's the last of these things. The devil gets riled up. You said, Brother Myers, how's that at? Well, you were at, we're in Genesis there, chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Look at 3.1. The Lord had down, he had made man and put man, he had made everything and everything was all set and had a beautiful garden and everything. Now the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field and the Lord God made and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, and folks, this is always the way Satan attacks. He attacks the word of God. Now you understand, 
If you don't get anything else out of what I say here this morning, don't forget what I'm saying right now. He will always attack the Word of God. The Word of God is how everything came into existence. So the devil attacks the Word of God. That's why you have people that said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. They don't believe in God because they don't believe the Bible. There's people that said they believe, they believe in a lot of things. They believe in God, but they don't believe in the Word of God. You know, the devil will attack the Word. Now, you and I who know the Lord and we know the power of God and we walk with the Lord, there are times when Satan will attack the Word of God in our hearts, and that's where faith comes in. Faith is believing God's Word without any shadow of doubt. They say, God, I believe your Word. Because that's what Satan attacks. He attacks your faith in God. Your faith is believing God's Word. And he'll say, you know, the preacher get in the pulpit and preach and say the word of God says so and so. And you say, yeah, but, you know, what, what about, you know, and all of a sudden it's, it's like Satan said here to Eve, God, hath God said? You know, in other words, a big question mark. I mean, putting a question mark, putting doubt in her mind. Hath God said? Well, yeah, yeah, he said it. You know, he said it. But all of a sudden now she's wondering if it's really true or not, you know. And I'm just saying that this is how Satan attacks our faith is by trying to put doubt in our hearts and minds about the Word of God. If you can believe the Word of God and if you will hold fast to the Word of the Lord, the, Lord, the Word will never fail you. Praise the Lord. It will never fail you. Uh, I have studied the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. and I've studied them for 60 years now. And I, I've studied... Uh, the teachings of Christ, and I've studied his prophecies and things, the things that have not yet been fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled, but the things that he prophesied in earlier times, folks, they were fulfilled to the letter, to the letter. You know, he, he, he told Jerusalem, he says, he wept for Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I would that I could gather thee unto me as a mother hen as her chick, but ye would not, ye would not. I wanted to save you, but you wouldn't let me save you. Therefore, your, you know, destruction is left unto you. And, uh, and he went on to say that, you know, the, the armies shall surround and everything. He, he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem in 78, 40 years before it happened. That was just one thing, on and on and on. All the things he said. He's talk, he talked about the last days. There would be wars, rumors of wars. He talked about there would be a falling away period of time. And there, has, there was. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> All of these things are to let us know, praise God, that the Lord is still, however, in control and his word is something you can always trust and believe. So, every time there was a, re a revelation of his truth and his word here, uh, there would be also an attack on the word of God, but the faithful would always hold fast to the word of God and they would advance in the kingdom and they would grow stronger in the Lord. Uh, just to finish this off in chapter 3 of Genesis here, in verse 1, he said, Yea, hath God said, that was his question there. Finally in verse 4, and this is what uh, Satan will eventually get to. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That's what Satan said to Eve. Has anybody seen Eve lately? Huh? She's not around, is she? No, she's not around because she died. She died. He said, you shall not surely die. He lied. Everything he says, he lies. 
Everything he does, he lies. Every time he opens his mouth, he lies. Satan is a liar. <coughs> Jesus said one time he's a liar, the father of liars. The father of liars. So anytime Satan comes along and he says, oh, you know, I can make you rich. I can make you this. I can do this for you. Oh, you can be happier if you do this, if you do that. You, you know, do break the commandments of God to go a different way, do your own thing. You can be happier. He's lying to you. He's lying, folks. Just say, God, your word, praise the Lord, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He didn't say he's going to drop a load on you. He's going to be added to you, praise the Lord, little by little by little. He'll always take care of you, amen, even when you don't think it's going to happen. Listen, folks, there's nobody been in poorer than this guy right here. I mean, I mean, and I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago, went out evangelized. My wife can tell you, her and I, we went through some tight places. Man, we, I used to tell folks, I said, I postponed a few meals, but we never lost any. <laughs> we never went without any. We just postponed a few. Praise the Lord. But God always was there. I can still remember walking through the snow in South Bend, Indiana, with two bags of groceries and being as happy as two young people could possibly be. As happy as we could be because we had two bags of groceries. You know, and I, I know what it's like, and I can tell you, praise the Lord, God will never fail you. If you trust the Lord, trust his word, trust his truth, praise the Lord, it's guaranteed. It's a guaranteed thing, amen. He'll never, he said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you can take that word and put a ring around it. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never leave you nor forsake you, praise the Lord. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Underline it solid and say, Lord, <clears throat> you promised you'd never leave us and you'll always be with us. And he will. And trust the Lord in that. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship God right now. Would you praise him? God, we thank you, Lord. You love your people. You love your people, Lord. You love those that are called by your name, Jesus. You love those that trust you, Lord. You love those that have faith in the word of God. Oh, Lord, we glorify thy name, and we praise you, Jesus, and we worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. My dad used to say to me, son, you can, you can uh, trust him. You can trust what a good man will tell you. A man's a good man. What he says, you can, you can trust him. If I can trust a good man on what he says, how much more can we trust God on what he says? I mean, that's God. You know, man can mean well and not be able to you know, fulfill what he had mean, means to say, um, you know, but God will never fail you because God can do anything. Let me move on here because I want to talk to you a little bit about <clears throat> these uh, situations back here because every time these different uh, truths would be revealed here, there would always be some persecution and that would be the power and the blessings of God. All the things that we mentioned to you here, that would be worship and that would be the move of God. And uh, that would be things, good things would happen. Amen. Somebody gets saved, he quits drinking, he quits taking drugs. Amen. Uh, his family gets back together, his kids have a happy home. You know, all those things begin to take place, praise God. And I talked to you last week about uh, the Pentecostal movement, how it started with a guy who was a, a Methodist preacher by the name of Charles Parman in 1900. <clears throat> he opened up a little Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, how that 
he told his uh, young people, his students one day, he said, I want you to pray and ask God, is Acts 2-4 for us today? Now, Acts 2-4 is where it says they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost beginning to speak in other tongues. And that was something that was believed at that time by most all of Christianity, that it was not for us today. It was for the early church, the apostles, but it was not for us today. And he said, I want you to pray and ask God, is this for us today? The reason that he asked, told them to pray that way was because there were things that were beginning to happen in the latter part of the 1800s. And that was things like healings begin to happen. And there began to be uh, the move of God in, in various ways. And people began to pray more and things began to happen that they began to see missionaries would come back and tell stories about how that God moved in some marvelous way in some foreign place. There was also word coming out of Wales, England about this time uh, where there had been a revival over in Wales, England among the coal miners over there. And <laughs> this is funny. This is really funny in a way, but it's beautiful. These coal miners used these mules and these donkeys to pull these coal carts out of those those tunnels and those channels, you know, to bring the coal out. They'd go back in the tunnel to chip coal and they'd bring those mules out and everything. And they'd drive those mules, you know, and they'd pull them and whip them and, and everything and curse the daylights out of those mules. I mean, swear at them and curse them and curse them and everything. And a revival broke out and a bunch of these coal miners started getting saved. And when they got saved, they didn't curse anymore. And when they, when they got saved, the mules didn't know what they were saying. The mules didn't understand what they were supposed to do. The mules wouldn't work because they couldn't, they didn't, and they couldn't curse because they'd gotten saved and the mules didn't know how to respond to these coal mines. This is the truth. This is all in church history. The, the mules did not know how to respond because they were used to the cursing. They'd been, they grew up with that. To them, that was the language of the coal miners' mules, you know. Everything and the mules didn't know how to work. You know what they had to do? They retired those mules, put them out in the field of pasture. They had to get new mules. <laughs> and begin to say, now giddy up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whoa, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And they talked to them differently. And this is what happened. But the coal, but the coal mining revival in among the coal miners started there. And so in Wales, England, they had a great revival there. And things. And once in a while, somebody would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, and they wouldn't know what it was. They'd say, oh, I don't know what it is. He, he started acting funny. But when he, got, when he came around, he was okay. <laughs> you know, he was talking sense again, you know. And they started letting go of that. So Parham, in hearing about that and a few other stray situations, had begin to ask these young people, he said, pray and ask. So when they began to pray and, uh, and everything, and everything, they, they told him, they said, we have read about it, and we do believe that it is for us today. And that's not the only place, 2-4 is not the only place, but it's also happened in the 10th chapter of Acts, also the 19th chapter of Acts. It's also recorded in, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 about them speaking in other tongues and all. And so they said, yeah, we believe that it is for us today. And so Parham said, let's pray. They had a watch night service, and I mentioned all this to you and everything. And uh, there was a girl that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in that watch night service. And she came to him and said, if you lay hands on me, I think I can receive that gift because I feel the presence of God all over me. And he did, she did, she spoke in tongues, and they said, hey, this is it. And so throughout the month of January, everybody in that Bible school received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so they went out and began to talk and teach and tell, 
and witness, and they started doing campaigns, and of course, people threw rocks at them. And they threw rotten eggs at them, and they threw tomatoes at them, you know. And they cut their tent ropes, you know, and all kind of things happened for a while until some of them got saved <laughs> and everything. And then finally they said, oh, well, they're growing so fast, you might as well leave them alone. In the meantime, it has spread down to, and I've mentioned this last week, and I'm just sort of recapping here a little bit today. It spread down into Houston, Texas. In Houston, Texas, they had a big revival going down there, and a bunch of these people started getting saved. And they'd have these prayer meetings and people would get prayed through and so forth. We talked about uh, a man, Goss, Howard Goss, how he received the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues for a week. A whole week he had the Holy Ghost all over him. And, uh, and there was a time, a period of time in the early on there, and he couldn't even speak English at all. He'd go to speak English and they'd just say, praise the Lord, brother God. He'd say, and he'd start talking in tongues, you know. And he said he, every time he opened his mouth to speak in English, he'd talk in tongues. Tongues is, comes from the Greek word glossolalia, and it simply means another language. And tongues was another language somewhere in the world that these people would speak. This was exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they would speak in a different language. And it was an evidence that the Spirit of God had come. But, you know, Christendom then, uh, they didn't quite like this system. They, did, they didn't know what it was all about. And so anyhow, so anyhow, Goss even preached one time in tongues, got up and preached and everything. Uh, <clears throat> and he, uh, he became uh, one of the leaders there. And then there was a black guy, one eye, had one eye, uh, blinded the other eye, named Seymour, William Seymour. He came to Houston and uh, he, he was invited to go to Los Angeles and preach over there. The first night, the first night up in Los Angeles in a little mission there, he got up and preached Acts 2-4, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And that night they locked the door on him. <laughs> they said, you can't come back in. I'm talking about the persecution factor that comes, you know, and everything. Somebody else said, well, you know, since we you brought you here and you don't have no money and you can't go back to Houston, uh, one guy said, I'll just sort of take care of you a little bit. And finally, uh, he, somebody else said, hey, you can come preach in my missions and so forth and so he did and people started getting the Holy Ghost and then finally they, they got crowds so big in that other mission that they said uh, let's go find another place they found Azusa Street Azusa Street's well known because in Azusa Street they opened that place up in 1906 and for three years between 1906 and 1909 they had service every day of the year year round all the time they never they had service all day, and they had it in the evening as well. And they prayed people. The whole, people started coming from all over Los Angeles and all over the West Coast. And then they started coming from all over the nation. And they would take trains and go out there and say, I've come to here to see what's going on. These were Christian people. Some of them say, I don't have nothing to do with this. These people are crazy. They, 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 you know, they, they shake. Uh, their, their heads bobble around sometimes on their shoulder and everything. And then they'll start talking in this tongues thing. I don't understand what that's all about. I don't believe in it. And so they leave. But others would stay and receive it. And when they did, praise the Lord, things would begin to happen in their life. And then they would say, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to start a mission. They started starting missions all over Los Angeles, all over California, all over the West Coast. There's a man by the name of Durham that came from California. And uh, uh, Durham came there. William Durham came from California. And he had a mission over there that was called the North Avenue Missions in Chicago. And he came over there to Los Angeles and wanted to see what it was all about. 
and uh, he said he had been feeling God's presence and he'd been hearing stories about other things happening. Meantime, that crowd out of Topeka, Kansas and that crowd out of Houston had worked its way into Chicago and he had been hearing about that. So he said, I want to know what this is all about. And so they, uh, they, they, uh, he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and then <clears throat> he went back to uh, Chicago and uh, I mean, he began to preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost experience, being filled with the Holy Ghost. And the next thing you know, his crowds were growing like crazy. And then sure enough, after that, more persecution. I mean, persecution people, you know, they'd get on the streets, they'd preach. Folks, this is the way they did it back then. They would have sometimes nothing, no building, hardly here. They'd put up a tent or they'd get a little old storefront and they would just begin to preach the word of God and people would come and get saved. That'd be some drunkard to come there and he'd walk up and down and he'd laugh and he'd holler and everything like that. He'd get under conviction, go to the altar and pray through and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> first, guy, first guy I ever baptized in my life. I was 19 years old preaching revival. I, I, first guy, I was single still. First guy I ever baptized in my life. He came to church drunk. He came to church to make fun of me. <laughs> he got under conviction. It wasn't my preaching that did it. It was the Spirit of God that did it. You know, God just honors the Word. That's all. And everything. He got under conviction. Came to the altar and prayed through. And they said, I said, well, we're going to baptize him now. We got to, got to baptize him. He said, I want to be baptized. I said, we're going to baptize him now. They said, we can baptize him now at the creek. I told you the story how that they shine the headlights of the cars down in the creek. It was nighttime. I shot it down in the creek in the water and everything, and it was a, like a ball of water coming up out of the ground. It was about, you know, I don't know, big as around this baptistry coming up out of the ground, and then it all flowed in one direction and it became a, the head of a creek. So we'd get downstream a little bit from that boil and everything, and the water just as clear. You could stand it real, if you stood real still, face the, the boil, you could drink the water coming up out of the water, you know, right there where you're standing. That's just how clean and clear it was. So this brother, I went there and I baptized. He said, how do I act? I said, like a dead man. I mean, I thought of that scripture where we're buried with him in Christ in baptism. We're buried with him in Christ. I said, yeah. I thought, oh, okay. You act like a dead man. Okay, so I got him, you know, and I faced him toward the water. And I, and I went down, everything, baptized him in Jesus' name. And when I went to pick him up, he was stiff as a poker like a dead man. And I couldn't bring him up. And as I tried to, I think it had his head this way. And as I tried to bring him up, the water was pushing me like this. And I couldn't get him up. And I pushed him right out of the lights of the car. And he went floating off down. <laughs> down first guy I ever baptized. Went floating off down the water. And nobody could see him. And they all looked. And everybody was looking to see him. And the, up, on the, up on the banks, the people all standing around up there. And everything, and they knew that down, way down there somewhere, there were some snakes. Not up here because the water was too cold, but further down, there'd be snakes, water moccasins, you know. And next thing you know, we heard him thrashing around down there and climbing out. And he came out of the creek way down there and came back up. And he said to me, Why did you let me go down there and float down there among all of those snakes? And I said, Remember? I said, Dead men don't talk. I said, You act like a dead man. <laughs> But that guy got saved, praise the Lord. Two years later, I went back and preached a revival there, and he was in the church. It was one of the deacons there. I'm telling you, folks, this is the greatest thing in the world. What God can do, what God will do, what God is yet to do. I'm telling you, God is still wanting to save a lot of people. 
There's an unborn church right out there still today. There's people that's ready to be saved if we'll ever just reach them and bring them to the truth and let them receive this wonderful baptism of the Holy Ghost experience. Let God fill them full with this mighty power and the grace of God and the goodness of God. Well, this guy, uh, William Durham, he uh, in Chicago, he started searching the scriptures. Now, people began to deal with the Holy Ghost in a strange way. Now the Holy Ghost was really falling, people was getting it. And they were saying, well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved when we believed. Because Martin Luther said, you know, saved by faith. You know, we're saved by faith. So when we believe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I should be saved. So we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ we're saved. And then the holiness movement came along and says, you need to live holy. And they said, well, if we're saved by believing, why do you have to have holy? They said, well, you have to be sanctified. So they threw that word in, sanctified. So the holiness movement began to say, I'm saved and sanctified. You got to have both. You got to be saved and sanctified. Praise God. And then some of the uh, saved and sanctified folks begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that's the way it all happens, you know. The ones who seem to be moving into the progressive way of, 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 of into God that way and, and so forth. And so they said, you are now saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the, the concept. I think the, the, and I'm not speaking about any denomination in particular here, only to tell you, you can read this in history books, it's there. But in the Church of God, they adopted that. We're saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That was, that's their doctrine. You're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Three, well, they call it three steps of grace. Somebody else says, you're saved and sanctified. Holy Ghost is immaterial. Somebody says, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was not essential. It was just an added blessing. You understand what we're saying? But Durham began to study the word and said, no. He read that scripture in Romans 8, 9, and 11. Where it says, without his spirit, we are none of his. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So there's only one spirit. And without his spirit, we are none of his. We got to have his spirit to be his. And then it says that if that spirit that was in Christ also dwell in us, verse 11 now, 8, 8 11 in, in Romans. If that spirit that was in Christ dwell in us, it shall also quicken our mortal body. He would say, you got to have the Holy Ghost to, to go in the rapture. <clears throat> So he began to preach that. Boy, he got under persecution. And it was the truth. You know, he began to say, this is the truth. And so uh, this, uh, this guy, uh, Durham here, he began to preach that and everything. Along about that time, there were some young Persian men who had come from Persia. One of them was named Urshan, Andrew Urshan. And he went to one of these meetings. And he began to hear that. They were Presbyterians. And uh, they had come there. They were Presbyterians in Persia, in fact. Persia is what today is Iran. <clears throat> and uh, they had come over there, and they were anxious to come to America because they said America was the greatest place for Christianity. And they were so anxious to get over here. Well, when they got over here, they saw so much carnality, they began to wonder, is this really, is this really the land of Canaan, you know? But they began to search and look for it. And so they then began to pray and get a deeper depth and walk with God and so forth, and they adopted that concept of being saved and sanctified and so forth. And finally, they said, you know, we've got to receive the Holy Ghost as well. And so uh, Andrew Urshan received the baptism of the Holy Ghost 
in 1907 there in Chicago. Along about that time, there was also a guy by the, by the name of Bell who became later on the head of the Assemblies of God. And he also went to that meeting and he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost along about that same time. There's all kinds of things that were happening at this point. And I'm pointing all that out to you <clears throat> to show you the groundwork here. And every time somebody would have a new truth, they would receive persecution. Well, uh, this guy, Durham, uh, he decided to go back to Los Angeles in, uh, in, in, in 2008. And uh, 2008 it was, no, it was 2000, I'm sorry, 2009. He went back to Los Angeles and he was going to go back there and tell them about this wonderful understanding that you've got to, when you get the Holy Ghost, you speak in other tongues, and that's the finished work. You're not saved until you get the Holy Ghost and everything. And that was the beginning to believe. There was a man by the name of, uh, uh, of, uh, of Goss, you know, got mentioned about him before. Uh, there was all kinds of uh, different men who began to receive the Spirit of God. Uh, and uh, they, began to be worship, they began to worship God in a great way. And uh, these men began to understand that you had to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to be saved. And so they began to preach that. So whenever uh, this guy went there, Durham, he went there. Well, a lot of those Pentecostals out in California says, no, no, we don't want to hear what you had to say. One time they even locked Azusa Street Church against him because he was scheduled to preach. And he said, no, you can't even preach on Azusa Street now. You know, because he was saying that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not only just a blessing, but it is something that you have to have to be saved. And so that began to be understood. And so people began to, re to really seek it. Along about that time, too, there began to be understandings and the reports coming from the foreign field that people were getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And some of those missionaries over there and some of the native people in other countries, like in China and India, they started baptizing in Jesus' name. They would baptize in Jesus' name over there. And the missionaries would come back and say, these people are baptizing in Jesus' name. And they had a, they had a, a big camp meeting. I'm going to close here in a few minutes. They had a big camp meeting in Azusa Street there. Not in Azusa Street, but there in Los Angeles. And they had Pentecostals that came from all over the world there in 1913. And Urshan went there to that, Andrew, Andrew Urshan. Also, uh, 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 this... Uh, Durham also went there for that. And there were many preachers there. there were th and a guy by the name of Callister got up to preach. And he said, uh, I'm going to preach here a few words here before we baptize this guy. that We're about to baptize. And he said, but I want to just tell you here that there is uh, some people who are saying that we need to understand that they should be baptized in Jesus' name. And, uh, and so he began to say that. And he said, Baptism because here in Acts 2.38, it says that the apostles, and they all baptized, and, and here's a big congregation, thousands of people out here, and they're all, they're all you know, Holy Ghost-filled people, but Jesus' name, baptism, has not yet really been revealed. And so he began to say that, and a missionary from China jumps up on the platform and comes over there to him and takes him aside, and he says, Brother, you don't want to talk about this? He said, I'm serious. It's going to really cause a lot of trouble. He said, just stay off of this subject, if you will, because I've been in China and I know what's going on over there. You know, and he whispered to him over there. The whole crowd's watching all this. So the guy went back to the pulpit and he went ahead and finished his message, you know. And then the, the guy was baptized and nothing more was said. 
But uh, there was a guy by the, there, you know, by the name of Frank Urit. He heard that, and he said, "Boy, something's going on. I'm going to get my Bible down." And people began to study their Bibles and begin to read. the The shot had been fired. You know what I'm saying? Amen. The shot had been fired. The egg had been broken. Uh, the smoke was out. You know, I mean, it was there. Uh, that Jesus' name, baptism, was how that early church. And from there, it began to really spread. And it began to happen, and things really began to take off. And the, the and the 1914, that was a camp meeting. I'm going to close with this camp meeting in Arkansas, and all these Pentecostals was gathered together. And one guy was in his room, and he was studying that Acts 2:38. Jesus said, you know, Peter said, "Repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." Why is that there when Matthew 28:19 says, "Go ye in all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost"? Why is that there? And this one over here says this, and then. They, everywhere in the book of Acts, they always baptized in Jesus' name. Why? And he kept wrestling with it. And then finally it hit him. It hit him. It's amazing how it hits you. You know, and Jesus said that this is a revelation in, 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 uh, in Matthew 16 and 15. They talked about, in 17, he talked about Peter. He says, my father which is in heaven has revealed this unto thee. Whom do men say that I am thou art the Christ? And he says, flesh and blood not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. My time is gone. That's why I'm rushing here. <clears throat> but anyhow, he, uh, the guy said, oh, my Lord, we are to baptize in Jesus' name. And he ran out and he ran all through the campground saying, we got to change our baptism. We got to baptize in Jesus' name. We got to baptize in Jesus' name. Everybody got their Bibles and they began to study and baptize in Jesus' name. And I mean, it really took off and it, it really began to shake up things. And what was so funny about it is long about that time, the Assemblies of God was just getting organized, organizing all the Pentecostals. And in the middle of all of that, now somebody's coming out with this Jesus name baptism. And one guy was, Bell was uh, elected as a general superintendent. Howard Goss was elected as a general superintendent as the assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And a guy named Flowers was elected secretary and treasurer. Bell and Goss said, no, we got to get baptized in Jesus' name. They just split the sins and got all over. And it just, it just created all kinds of problems and so forth. But you know what? And then persecution came again. <laughs> Amen. Persecution came. We had a sister in this church. I'm going to close. Her name was uh, Grace Griffin. How many of you older saints remember Sister Grace Griffin? I see a number of hands back here, some here. Sister Griffin uh, was one of those old, I mean, she, she died, I don't know, 30 years ago. I can't remember how long, but she died here, here in Melbourne 30 years ago. She was a saint all her life. But she grew up in the Pentecostal faith. And she says, I remember when all of that began to happen way back. This is how far she goes back. And she said, they, they would, when, if you got up and testified about how great Jesus was and the wonderful name of Jesus, she said they'd take songbooks and beat you on the back and say, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, everything. But they just had all kinds of stories to tell. But I'm just telling you, and now next week I want to tell you, a little bit about some things that happened as well. Because this guy, Urshan, this Andrew Urshan, uh, he went to Persia, back to Persia to take the message. And boy, the things they went through over there and the persecutions they went through over there and the holy war, the jihad that they got into, the Muslims that began to slaughter the Christians and how they escaped and how they went through Russia and baptized people, broke the ice and baptized people in Jesus. First of all, it was just baptizing them and then finally baptizing them in the name of Jesus in broken ice and how do those people begin to, and they are called to this day, they're called Urshanites in Russia 
They are Pentecostals, uh, Jesus name Pentecostal, in Russia that's been there since around 1915. And I'm just telling you folks, this is the greatest thing on the face of the earth. God is moving and he still wants to move and he wants us to seek his face and turn to him with all of our hearts and give our lives to him more than we've ever done before. Who knows what God will do and God can do it. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands and praise him right now. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your blessings and goodness. Thank you, God, for this wonderful audience, this congregation of good people. We ask you to bless us all with your word, your truth, your greatness. Bless the morning service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Remain standing if you would.